Assalamu alaikum and welcome to today's segment, Muslim Lifestyle in the West. My name is Farva Sheikh and I will be your moderator today. There is no doubt that Western culture has become a part of many Muslim households, from the foods that we eat to the schools we go to and the professional environments that we work in. Along with the stresses of fitting into Western culture, many Muslims are finding it very difficult to find a balance between deen and dunya. And in turn, they feel that they have to compromise their Islamic lifestyle to accommodate a more Western one. Today, I am joined by two amazing panelists, uh, and they really don't need any introduction, Sheikh Azhar Nasser and Sister Zahra Alawi. Salaam alaikum. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm extremely excited to talk about this topic because it's really, really needed and we are all residing in western countries so we definitely have to deal with the struggle daily so i wanted to get started right away because it's a hot juicy topic and so i want to focus on three areas one how would you define muslim lifestyle in the west followed by what are some important steps a family should take while raising children in the west and how do we as a community integrate into Western society without compromising our beliefs? And how can our mosques and community centers help us? So I wanted to get started with Sheikh Azhar Nasser. How would you define Muslim lifestyle in the West? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So I, I actually have a problem with, with the, the notion of you know, Western Muslim versus Eastern Muslim, Western Muslim style, uh, lifestyle versus Eastern Muslim lifestyle. Because ultimately, especially in the world that we live in, we're so interconnected. And, you know, the Quran emphasizes the idea that, you know, المغرب, you know, to Allah belongs the East and the West. And the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala apply in the East just as they apply in the West, you know, as Western Muslims, we don't we don't get a pass. We, uh, you know, the the values of Islam apply no matter where you are. the The teachings of Islam, the ahkam, apply. There's a there's an interesting narration where a one of the companions of Imam Sadiq actually asks the Imam a question about relocating to a non-Muslim country. The narrator says to the Imam. This man comes to Imam al-Sadiq and he says to him, Ya Rasulullah, I am relocating to a non-Muslim country. And there are those among us, some Muslims have this belief that if you relocate and you become a part of a non-Muslim community and you die in a non-Muslim country, you will be resurrected among them, meaning that you will become one of them. And in fact, many of our relatives back home, they might even consider us to be, you know, even outside of the fold of Islam, that we've, we've relinquished so much of our identity that we've essentially become part of them. What's interesting here is that Imam al-Sadiq, he says, to him, Ya Hamad, you know, the narrator, his name is Hamad. Ya Hamad, Ida kunta thamma, tadkuru amrana, wa tadru ilay. The Imam says, Oh Hamad, when you are there, when you are in that non Muslim country, when you're in that region, 
Are you able to revive our teachings? Are you able to uphold our values and invite others to our path? The man says, yes, Ya Ibn Rasulullah. There are, so this shows you that even during the time of Imam Sadiq, there are non-Muslim regions that offer more li religious liberty, religious freedom. So he says to the Imam that yes, this non-Muslim country that I'm migrating to allows me to practice my faith and it allows me to invite others to my tradition. And then the Imam says, he says, فَإِذَا كُنْتَ فِي هَذِهِ الْمُدُنْ مُدُنَ الْإِسْلَامِ تَذْكُرُ أَمْرَنَا وَتَدْعُوا إِلَيْهِ The Imam says, if you stay in these Muslim territories, will you be able to practice your faith and invite others to this path? And the man says, no. And this is really interesting because today we know there are places in the world that identify as Muslim countries but you and I both know that we would not be able to practice our Shia tradition in those regions. We would not be able to practice our faith. The same problem existed during the time of Imam al-Sadiq where you have places that identify as Biladul Islam, but they restrict the religious freedom of, of Shias. So the man says, no, no, if I remain in certain Muslim territories, I will be limited in my ability to practice my faith. So the Imam السلام, he then says to this man who is going to a non-Muslim region, non-Muslim country, while he's able to practice his faith and invite others to the path of Ahlul Bayt, the Imam says, in the Imam says, if you go to that region, if you go to that non-Muslim country, and you're able to propagate and live according to the values of Islam, Allah will raise you as a nation in and of yourself. And you will be a source of light. The light will emanate from before you. So the main point is that no matter where you live, you have to live in a place that allows you to practice your faith. And if you don't, and this is a very you know, difficult conversation that we need to have, whether you're living in a Muslim country or a non-Muslim country, if you're living in a place that does not allow you to fulfill your religious obligations, if you live in a place where you are more inclined towards the Muharramat, you have a religious duty to relocate. You have a religious duty to relocate. Wow. Thank you so much for that, Sheikh. That was so insightful. Uh, Sister Zahra, what would be your definition of the Muslim lifestyle in the West? First of all, salam alaikum to you all, to Sister Farwa and Sheikh Azhar. I believe this is the first time I do a panel with Sheikh Azhar, although I think don't know so how too. we haven't crossed paths before, but um, it's, it's good to be on with you. Um, so, Muslim lifestyle. I think Islam is a lifestyle. Um, it gives us all the basics of, of a lifestyle from family structure to raising children to how we should conduct ourselves to how we should behave to the religious practices. So Islam already provides that basis of a lifestyle. Now, depending where we are around the globe, um, I think proves to, you know, it presents itself challenges. Um, many people say, is it harder to live in the West or 
in the east or if you live in an islamic country would that be easier to practice your faith um and i truly believe that i think wherever you are around the globe even if you're living in an islamic country that presents itself with its challenges um so i think number one if we are living in the west i think it provides us more opportunities to make change um and i think many of us see living in the west as a negative thing when in fact it could be a very positive thing it gives us more opportunities to pr promote the religion to propagate the message of the Ahlul Bayt and I think especially for our sisters you know we we have that phys physical um, representation of Islam the hijab and no matter where we turn around the globe it's the discussion of hijab especially now recently in India you see that they're banning hijab in schools in France the same thing happens so I think especially as us sisters it provides us with more of an opportunity to spread the religion um, because we are walking examples of Islam. So I think I, a very interesting discussion. I, I done an interview with a um, revert, a convert, a couple of years ago, and I was telling them, I said, MashaAllah, you're so amazing that you've come to this religion. You're, you know, you don't come from an Islamic background and you've come to the religion. And they said, well, I find you guys inspiring because you've been grow, grown up in the, in the religion and you could easily leave. And sometimes when you are grown up a Muslim, you don't appreciate the religion as much. And they say is that, you know, you could easily get diverted into culture and you've still stuck to the religion as well. So I think it's, it's just beautiful to see that sometimes we, we kind of look at living in the West as a negative aspect when in fact it could be very positive. Many people living in Islamic countries take their faith for granted and that lines between culture and religion really does get blurred. So I think we should look at the positives of living in the West, how we can make changes while we're living in the West, what positive, you know, how we can spread the message of the Ahlul Bayt alayhim um, And I think that's very important. And I think now, especially I think Chef um, touched upon it, is that now the lines between, you know, the globe has really become blurred with social media. We can connect and with anyone. And I think even those that are living in an Islamic country are not shielded from the challenges that we living in the West are. Um, many of us, you know, my sisters, they grew up, they were born in Bahrain and Iran. They grew up in Hawza. They didn't see half the stuff that people now living in those countries see. So we have to see that the world has really become one with the rise of technology, with the rise of um, the digital age. And wherever you're living, there are challenges and we must ensure that we uphold our religion in the best way possible. Thank you so much, Sister Zahra. Yeah, and I agree with both of what you, with what both of you said. Um, Islam is a lifestyle, and it's almost a blessing to be in the West because we actually were challenged and forced to understand and learn our religion and not just inherit it. Like Imam Ali says, a lot of my cousins grew up right in the Middle East, and they don't know a lot of things we know here because we were forced to know the answers because when you go to school you're different and kids are asking questions and so you you were almost forced to really you know become more religious or practicing um towards islam which actually um segues me into uh the second question which i would like to ask sister zahra first uh what are some important steps a family should take while raising their children in the west well, um, I think there's a number of very important points um, regarding raising children. I have three children myself, and it scares me, <laughs> you know, to even think about raising them, not even in the West, just raising them to be good, 
faith, um, believing human beings. And um, I think number one is that we must ensure that when we are raising children, is that we're raising them to be strong believers. We're raising them to have an understanding of religion. So no matter where they they are placed around the globe, no matter where they are placed, no matter what challenges they face, they are strong enough to uphold their faith. And I think sometimes we focus on kind of how can we raise children in this in this country or in this country, but we need to really focus on the core um, and raising very strong believing children. And it's scary to see now that the next generation are the ones that are going to carry the message of Islam, are going to carry the message of the Hilbayt alayhim salam. So we need to ensure that they are uh, you know they, they do first of all have the understanding of what religion is and number two that they are strong in their faith i think now it provides more challenges than ever before and I, as i mentioned in the previous question like before my my mother told me just recently she said my i i'm one of 10 girls so my mother and father had 10 daughters and they were saying when we were raising you you know the only time we really were afraid of kind of deviation or you to or haram is when you leave the house, but inside the home, you're, you know, we know that you're protected. But now the outside world has come into our home. Children are on the gadgets 24/7. All this social media is getting drums in their head. I, d I don't think I saw a woman dancing half naked until I was probably 17 or 18 watching a movie, and then you turn your heads anyway. But now with TikTok and Instagram, you see that 24/7. And that's nine-year-old children watching that. So we need to really understand the challenges of social media. You know, suicide I, I, in, in the UK, I don't know about in America, but in the UK, suicide, child suicide has increased dramatically because of social media. So, you know, before, for us, social media may not affect us because we're already established in our faith, in our, in our identity, we know who we are. But young children who really haven't really established themselves yet, are getting all these opinions and images drummed into their heads. So I think number two is we really need to be aware of social media and how much your children are going on it. I would never allow a child to go on social media being locked in the room because you don't know what they're watching and how they are getting affected. So number one, I would say is to focus on the child to ensure that no matter what environment they are placed in, they are strong individuals. Number two, I would say that so be aware of social media honestly be aware of social media because it's really going downhill with that um and even with women i mean i've i've, I've done a um i was mentoring a, a a group of children for camp uk is a camp that happens on a yearly basis here in the uk and the amount of young girls who are 10 15 10 9 years old are very self-conscious of the way they look and when i ask them why is you know look at this lady on instagram and it's like that's all you know it's all the filter and it's all fake but it's really do it is really affecting our children so that's number two even the even the issue of hijab you know many people modify their hijab because of social media and i've spoken to many sisters that then have taken off their hijab and it started with seeing youtube videos of how to style their hijab a certain way and then it gets removed so i think number two is really be aware of social media we are facing another challenge with that with raising children and number three, I would say that we have to ensure our children are raised with the traditions of Islam as well. And I think now we're trying to make Islam very modern, very nice and very fun. And we have to really go back to the core because that's what it is. You know, Hussainiyat, Majalis, these stuff are very, very important. Um, 
because it creates an environment, it creates a community. And I think that number one aspect that we're missing in today's world is a community. Everyone's locked in their home. Before, my mother said, you know, you would raise your children with the community. The community would raise your children. But now in this day and age, everyone's locked at home. You hardly see, see anyone, you hardly speak to anyone. So the mosque really does create that environment for our children. So we must ensure that our children are surrounded with very similar individuals people that have the same belief this is very very impo important we can't say our kids have friends in school and that's it but we need to ensure they're surrounded by good friends and friends that have similar beliefs and sim similar um outlook in life and i think with those three aspects we may be able to do a good job thank you so much for that uh Sheikh, what's your input on this question you know, just as uh, Sister Zahra alluded to, raising children is very difficult. It's, uh, you know, the easiest part is to have them. But yeah. to, ra to raise them is the real challenge. And I think, you know, especially when both parents are working, you know, and you're exhausted, it's very, and I, I, I could tell you this from experience, it's very easy to justify giving them gadgets because you've worked a long day, you're tired, you don't have the energy. And it's just easy. And I, I think that when you're a parent, if you want to, you know, there's a difference between, you know, having children and being a parent. Anyone can have children, but being a parent requires a lot of effort. You have to consciously make the decision that I'm not going to do what's easy, even though I want to. I'm going to do what's, what's difficult because sometimes, you know, you're not going to have the energy. But those are the moments where, you have to find it within yourself and tell yourself, this is an investment. Like with my, with my daughter, there are days where I'm just exhausted and I would love to just give her my phone and just be left alone. But I think that you have to remember that there is going to come a time when your kids don't want to hang out with you anymore. You know, those first you know, few years, those first seven years when they're young and you know, mommy and daddy are like the best, cherish those, those, those years. And I think that those seven years, and that, that's why the prophet emphasizes the, the importance of treating them like masters during those seven years, really build a bond with them. So what I do with, with my own daughter is that, you know, I try to, we try to limit uh, screen time. And, and sometimes that means that I have to sit for an hour and play tea time. You know, I have to sit and play dolls. You play with dolls with my daughter. I do that because I know that when she's four, Bob is the coolest person on the, in the world. But when she's 14, I'm not gonna be that person. So the point is you gotta establish that connection very, very early on. And parenting requires the, the participation of both parents, right? Raising children is not the domain of mothers. Fathers also have an important role. And, and I think it's very interesting that when you look at the Quran, Allah makes it a point to talk about how Luqman gave advice to his young son. Like having that heart-to-heart, -heart, that one-on-one -on -one time, talking about the things that your, your kids are facing. But you, you're not going to be able to have those conversations unless you built that rapport with them, unless they see you as their playmate, as their companion growing up. So what I do, what I, I really believe that no matter what, you have to, you cannot, your public schools are not going to raise your kids. YouTube is not going to raise your kids. It's gonna, in fact, it's going to damage your children. 
So a lot of what it means to be a parent today is just to shield them from the negative influences and really be more involved in their lives. It's not just about giving them food. It's not just about buying them clothes. It's about actually sitting and you know playing with them, you know, taking them to the park, having conversations, talking to them, not texting them. You know, because we text, but texting is not real human conversation. You need to have real conversations with each other. When it's when it's when you're having a meal with each other, phones need to be removed. We should be looking at each other. We should be communicating. You know, every, every day when I take my daughter to uh, to school, it's a 30 minute drive, and I I make you know I can take her to the public school, which is two minutes away, but I know that I'm going to pay the price in 10 years if I if I do what's easy. So I do what's a little bit. I'm going to inconvenience myself. And in that 30 minute drive, you know, I have 30 minutes with my daughter. I can give her a phone, but what I do is I review like the ahadith that she's memorized and I praise her and I encourage her and I, you know, give her gifts every time she, uh, she memorizes a hadith, you make it into a game. And that's, that's what I've learned as a father that if you want to make Islam fun, make everything into a game, make everything into a challenge, reward them when they do good and and just and sometimes being a parent means that you have to you have to find the child within you you know you know until i had kids I, i've never i don't sit on a swing or play but now i i climb and i hang on the monkey bars i do all of that stuff and i would never do that unless you have unless you have children so i think children they have a very unique way of bringing out the inner child within you and we all have that inner child and i think that uh, you have to just embrace that because if you do, you'll be able to build a strong foundation with your children. And if they ever make mistakes in life, they'll come back to you because you you built those beautiful memories with them growing up. Thank you so much. Both of you spoke so well about this. I mean, I'm I don't have kids, so <laughs> it's it's something that's new to me, right? And like, what are these challenges that? you know parents are facing daily putting their kids in school handing them devices there's a lot of external things that are coming into um, our lives without us even realizing it and some of the tips that both of you provided are very helpful um, especially being in the west it's so easy for kids to see something on social media or go to school and say well you know so and so does this with their family and you want to create that in your own home so your kids don't have to look anywhere else and they feel like they're getting the best environment just being with their parents and their siblings. Um, and so I wanted to segue into our final question. How do we as a community integrate into Western society without compromising our beliefs? And how can our mosques and community centers help us? Um, Sister Zahra, I would love to start with you. Yeah, so I think, um... This is, has been a debate and many people say, can we integrate into, into the Western society without compromising our beliefs? And I think we certainly can. Um, Islam is supposed to be, um, you know, Islam provides us, as I said before, a lifestyle and it is, and we should stick by that. And I think especially, for example, let's take the hijab, for example. Many people say, should I compromise my hijab, for example, to get a job or to get into a certain workplace? Um, and I think that in many cases, and, and this is from experience, before working in a um, Islamic channel and Islamic organizations, I did work out there with 
you know, in, in, in workplaces that had no Muslims at all. And I think that deep down, people really do respect you when you stick to your beliefs. And that's something I've really, really seen. And um, many times, you know, I worked in a workplace before working in the Islamic channel that I then moved on to. And many times, you know, people, for example, even if they would eat a certain thing or drink a certain thing, I would get off the table. And, you know, after when I finished, when I was about to leave the workplace, someone came up to me and they said, we really respect you for sticking to your beliefs. And I think deep down, people do respect you when you stick to your guns and you know yourself, you know who you are, you know, you know, which, you know who you are and people respect that. So that's number one. Number two, I think that, um, is it possible to integrate within the West while not compromising our beliefs? And it certainly is. In, 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 in many aspects now, I think the world really does understand many of the religions. For example, a lot of the workplaces have a, in, in here in the UK, many of the workplaces, they call it a, um, they don't call it a prayer room, they call it, is it a prayer room? Yeah. Medi in meditation room. room. What is it called? Meditation room. Yeah, meditation room. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, it is a meditation. I haven't worked in a outside. Um, I've been sucked with Islamic organizations. But yeah, a meditation room, which have, has all faiths that can pray there. So I think many of the workplaces now do facilitate for religions. It does facilitate. Um, they do understand your our religious beliefs. If someone needs to pray during their break room, it is available. And I think it's you know, we make excuses for not doing certain things. And that's something that I have really, really learned in the past couple of months. I think many times we say, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't pray because we're working. And, you know, many, I don't know if many people know, but my father passed away four months ago and I saw him on his deathbed. He was dying and he was praying and he couldn't, you know, by that time, Secretary Malt had, had come to him. So he couldn't speak, he couldn't see, and I and you know and we would sit in his bedsides and he would kind of like blink his eyes while he's praying and he would mutter he can't speak because he was dying but he would mutter some words and I just stood there and I I thought to myself wow you're dying and you're praying and we make excuses you know we got we've got this job to do so we're not going to pray or we'll pray the last five minutes or sometimes we don't even have anything to do and we would just pray the last five minutes before it becomes cover. So I think we make a lot of excuses for ourselves and we try to, as Sheikh, as I've said, we always try to take the easy route. We always try to just take the easy route in everything. And in, in, in many cases, we do begin to compromise our beliefs because we think, you know, let's just take the easy route. When in fact, taking the hard route is the best thing to do. You know, we need to stick to our guns and we need to ensure that even with the challenges that it may present with to, to us, then um, we need to stick by it. And I think, you know, just one last message, you know, as this is the last question, just be strong in your faith. Many sisters come up to me and say, it's so hard to wear hijab in the West. And I say, you know, and they say, you know, when we leave, we feel like everyone's looking at me. I say, just put your head up high and walk out and be confident in who you are. Because many times it's our lack of self, um, our lack of confidence that makes us believe everyone's looking when in fact, you know perhaps no one is looking i actually remember you know saying that when i was pregnant with my second child i was on the bus um and i was sitting down and my belly was huge and just at that time there was a suicide bombing i don't know where around the globe and all the news were reporting on it and this woman was staring at me on the bus and i was so i was so aware of her staring at me i'm like oh my god she 
and all the news was talking about suicide bombing and I'm like I'm here wearing an abaya and a hijab and my belly is massive and she's looking at me because she thinks I'm a suicide bomb and then at the end she came up to me it was this old woman and she came up to me she goes oh what are you, are you pregnant and I said yeah she goes oh that's lovely is that your first child and she was just interested because I was becoming a mother and she was so nice and I thought it's all in my head sometimes it's all in our head when in fact you know it's easier or people are not as let's say negative towards islam as what we may think so just stick to your guns thank you so much and sheikh azar nasser do you have any final thoughts on this question so i i think sister zara hit the nail on the head but just you know one comment that i want to make is that you know oftentimes when we speak about the concept of integration we automatically assume that we're outsiders. And I think that we have to stop thinking about ourselves as outsiders. Because if you already, if you're approaching the problem, thinking that, okay, I am an outsider trying to fit in, you've already put yourself at a disadvantage. I think that we have to be unapologetically Muslim. And I I really believe that when you're unapologetically Muslim, non-Muslims will respect you. So that's just my uh, my uh, my final thought. Thank you so much. Um, both of you have provided so much insight, um, and I agree that it takes a lot of confidence. I think once you're confident in who you are and what you believe in, you become so unshakable that people only have um, respect for you. And I've experienced that in my personal life, where you know, like Sister Zahra said, they people come up to you and they say, "Hey." Um, you literally go and pray during your lunch break. I respect you so much. And people would see me take, you know, like uh, my stuff with me and they're like, I'm like, yes, I'm going to go pray. So you establish um, how you want people to respect you. And that's how you can really live as a Muslim in the West when you set the standards for other people. And then they're able to say, hey, you know, this is how this person practices. I want to thank both of you for joining us today. Um, I've learned so much. And I just wanted to thank you both for joining us again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us.